have an update about the Idaho murders right here. The two roommates who live with the four University of Idaho students who were murdered on November 13th are not suspects in the case. The police just announced this on Friday afternoon. They've also mailed out, they've also ruled out a male bystander seen on security camera footage. The ones that were standing next to the victim, Kylie Gonclave, 21, and Madison Mogan, 21, near a food truck in downtown Moscow, where the, do, the two victims were last seen. Additionally, additional online reports of the victims being tied and gagged are not accurate. The identity of the 911 caller has not been released. They added that they do not have any suspects in the quadruple homicide as of Friday afternoon and that they have not recovered any weapons. Now, they are saying that it was a big K-bar that was used. They said all the victims were stabbed in bed multiple times and that whoever did it was very angry because they did it many times. The police chief said that investigators believe the victims were killed about 3 or 4 a.m. He stated that the four victims were likely asleep. Some had defensive wounds and each was stabbed multiple times. They're processing many tips. They have over 500 tips to process. They've conducted 38 interviews with individuals who might have, who may have information about the murders. The Moscow Police Department has assigned, assigned four detectives to the case, 24 patrol officers and five support staff. Now, the FBI has 22 investigators in Moscow, 20 agents in other areas of the United States, and two behavioral unit analysis units. Now, the state police of Idaho have deployed 20 investigators, 15 state troopers, a public information officer, and a forensic team. I got some footage Friday of the state and the FBI processing the scene and they're in the kitchen gathering forensic evidence i'm going to put the links to all this information i'm giving you in the show notes you're listening to midnight radio i'm your host jerry adams if you have a comment or question Combining the stories we're going over today, you can call it 325-261-0892. That is 325-261-0892. And leave up to a three-minute voicemail message. You can also email me about any of the stories I'm going over. Or if you have a story for me, if you have something you would like me to investigate, you can send that to me. Send that to me at midnightrad. .io 101 at gmail.com. That is midnightrad.io at gmail.com. Some of the stories we're going to be going over today. We got some new information released from the Sheriff's Office about 
the rust shooting. We're going to go over and then uh, Elizabeth Holmes was sentenced. We're going to go over that. There's a killer in England that was caught. We're going to go over that. And I have something I want to talk to you about with Elon Musk. Now, first off, Now and Alec Baldwin, who's suing the crew members who gave him the loaded gun on the set of Rust, where Baldwin's gun went off and killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins. We're going to speak with Dan Averson after this report from Mola Lange. Good morning, Mola. Well, good morning, George. Alec Baldwin trying to clear his name in this new lawsuit, alleging it was the film's uh, crew members who were the ones who were negligent. This as questions remain about exactly how live ammunition made it onto that movie set in New Mexico. This morning, in an effort to clear his name, Alec Baldwin is suing the armorer and crew he says are responsible for handling the loaded gun he used that fatally shot cinematographer Helena Hutchins and injured the director, Joel Souza, on the set of the movie Rust. The star and producer, Baldwin, adamant that he was told by crew members the gun had no live ammunition, alleging the crew was negligent and failed to maintain a safe set. His attorney saying in a statement... More than anyone else on that set, Baldwin has been wrongfully viewed as the perpetrator of this tragedy. The armorer in question, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, responding with her own statement through her lawyer, writing, Baldwin is solely responsible for the harm that happened. He rejected training and pointed the gun and pulled the trigger without the armorer being present. His arrogance is astounding. It's his fault, period. It was more than a year ago in Santa Fe, New Mexico, when Hutchins was killed during rehearsal for a scene in the low-budget Western. In an interview with George Stephanopoulos last December, Baldwin adamant he did not pull the trigger, which he still maintains to this day. It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. But contrary to Baldwin's claims, the FBI, stating in an August report, the gun used in the fatal shooting functioned normally and could not have fired without pulling the trigger. Baldwin's lawsuit also naming Dave Halls, who gave Baldwin the gun, Seth Kenny, who supplied guns and ammunition to the set, and Sarah Zachary, who was in charge of props. None of those defendants have responded to the suit. Despite the tragedy, production on the ill-fated Western will resume in January, but not in New Mexico, according to the production company. Helena's widowed husband, Matthew, joining the embattled project as an executive producer after reaching a settlement in the wrongful death suit against Baldwin and the producers for an undisclosed amount last month. Santa Fe prosecutors now poring over the case, determining whether they will file criminal charges. There's no evidence that this was intentional. This was clearly an accident, but perhaps a criminal accident. Just because something is an accident doesn't mean that a criminal act didn't occur. Well, after a year-long investigation into the shooting, the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office turned its report over to the district attorney's office last month. That district attorney is now considering whether to press charges against anyone involved in the shooting, guys. Okay, Mola, thanks very much. Let's bring in our chief legal analyst, Dan Abrams. What do you make of this suit? Well, look, you know, they say that uh, the best uh, defense is a good offense. And I think that you're seeing a little bit of that here from Alec Baldwin. This is a cross complaint, meaning he has been sued by someone who was on the set. That person has sued him and other people. And he's basically saying, okay, now I'm going to respond and say, yes, those other people you sued, they're responsible, but I'm not. 
I should be entitled to some of the damages because I'm a victim. So even if he did nothing wrong here, absolutely nothing wrong, it's still a tough lawsuit to say that he was the victim, that he should be entitled to damages here. But I think that he's being honest when he says he's doing this to clear his name. You need a scorecard to keep up with all the lawsuits that are being filed here. So where do they all stand? Yeah, I mean, the most important one, of course, is from the family of Helena yeah. Hutchins, right? You know, and, and she and her family has settled. So that one is off the table. So now you have a number of people, some of whom are saying, well, I was on the set and I was psychologically injured. Or uh, when the bullet was fired, my glasses came off and and I haven't been able to to get over what happened since then. Some of these are not particularly strong lawsuits, in, in my view, by the people who are filing them. But they are continuing because I think that there is this huge battle over who's at fault. And, and, and the answer probably will be a number of people a little bit, right? It's probably not the case that one singular person is entirely responsible for this. This is a series of events where a number of people are all partially responsible. And then you have to figure out how does that play out in the courts? Uh, in courts, Robin referred to uh, the, the civil cases, right? Yeah. Scorecard on civil cases. But what about criminal, a criminal case? That's here? the big one, right? That's the yeah. big outstanding question. And the prosecutor has sure hinted that there are going to be criminal charges in connection with the case. She now has everything she needs to make a decision. She's got the FBI report. She's got the sheriff's report. She's already got funding to extend uh, her, her investigation and potentially prosecution. So you would think that we should be hearing at any moment about a possible prosecution. And, and you don't do all that unless you plan to possibly file criminal Look, charges? I think it's unlikely at this point that there won't be a prosecution because the DA has asked for this additional funding. If the DA hadn't asked for that additional funding, I might not be saying that. So with this, I'm leaning towards believing the armorer. I mean, how easy would it be to believe that Alec Baldwin didn't want training? Oh, I know what I'm doing. How easy would it be to believe that Alec Baldwin was arrogant and I don't even, no, no, I don't even need the armorer here. I can do this. I'm just practicing. It'll be okay. Or no one even trying to step up to him to tell him what to do. He was, again, he was a producer on this. He was more than just starring in it. He was a big time producer, if not the executive on this at the time, at the time. And the family of the woman that was shot is, they've settled They've got they've got their money or whatever it was they were looking for. So now we have Alec Baldwin suing people. Alec Baldwin, his name has hit the bottom in Hollywood over this and, and the view of the American public. And now I this is where I need your help. I'm talking about I'm talking to you on this because I could be wrong. Well, I'm not wrong. But I never remember John Wayne ever having shot anybody. How many people were accidentally shot back then when old westerns in the 60s and the 70s were like the main thing everybody watched? There was a million people getting shot every day. No one actually got shot. But, you know, I've, I've handled guns many times. And I want to, my belief is this. The person that pointed and fired the trigger is the sole one responsible. You don't do that unless you know beyond a reasonable doubt it's like you don't stick your head in a bucket of water and inhale 
unless you're sure there's no water in the bucket. You know what I'm saying? There's no accidents when it comes to guns unless it's a child that doesn't understand the concept. This is a grown man. It wouldn't have happened to John Wayne. That's my take on it. I want to know yours because maybe you remember John Wayne shooting somebody that I don't remember. Because, I mean, come on, that was a long time ago. This movie looks like, it looks like a good movie, the, the, the concept. Now, there's a 550-page report from this year-long investigation, and some of the findings on there are text messages from Alec Baldwin's phone. Now, I'm going to pull this up right now, see if I can go over some of that with you. The magic is calling you to stay. No magic. So let's see. What are some of the things that were on his phone? Let me see. See if I can get some of that. Ooh, it is long. I got in and out, in and out. This man... Going over this report, okay. This report is huge. A link to all this information is going to be on the show notes of the show right here. You can go over Alec Baldwin's text messages that he sent at the time, all public domain now, and uh, this whole report that they got from the scene. from all the statements. This is huge. This is huge. Yeah, you're going to want to go over this. Matter of fact, I tell you what. Let me go ahead. Let's see if I can download me a copy of it. So we make sure we have a copyright. All right, next story. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes sentenced to more than 11 years in prison. She will get 11 years, 11 years and three months. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes sentenced uh, after being convicted on four felony counts back in January in a lengthy, about four-hour sentencing hearing uh, here at U.S. District Court in San Jose, California, in the heart of Silicon Valley. Judge Edward Davila, who is a Silicon Valley native, he pointed out, talking about how he grew up here and how business used to be done with a handshake, and wondering whether Elizabeth Holmes was intoxicated by the fame, whether it was the hubris that uh, made her, made her uh, commit these counts of wire fraud that she was convicted of. But before that, a tearful appeal from Elizabeth Holmes herself getting up on the stand talking about how she was devastated by the failure of her company, about uh, how she, how Theranos and her team meant the world to her, and about how she set out to change the world and is now seeking to change herself and to learn these lessons. But what she did not do in that tearful appeal, apparently, 
was to apologize to her investors or the patients that relied on the Theranos blood testing results. Of course, she uh, is planning to appeal this almost certainly, so that may be part of the reason why. But again, Judge Edward Davila uh, in San Jose. That's actually not true at all. She did apologize to her patients because I've read the transcript of it. I just want to throw that out. Ruling that uh, that uh, at least $121 million lost by investors, uh, by more than uh, 10 victims in this case, and then that that, that uh, gives Elizabeth Holmes a sentence. as What he says is on the low end of the federal sentencing guidelines, but just the same, uh, 11 years and three months in prison for Elizabeth Holmes. Guys? It could have been up to 20 years, Scott, um, so one might view it as, as a lighter sentence. Do we know, you said before, that she's most likely to appeal, almost certain to appeal this. Will she serve right away or will she um, be at home for the appeal? We're waiting to hear about that. That's another thing that the judge will have to rule on. Um, uh, oftentimes in cases like this, they will let the defendant uh, stay free on bail pending an appeal, but uh, that's something that they'll be arguing about uh, as we speak right now. Uh, she, since she's pregnant right now, I think they might let her out on appeal. But then again, as devastated as she says she was, maybe it'd be best go, to go ahead and incarcerate her so she doesn't commit suicide, harm herself or others. And I think this that's an important question. As a judge, myself, I would take... I would take no liberties in the area, and I'd go ahead and incarcerate her. Uh, whether, but, but he does have the option of sending her directly to prison or, uh, or letting her stay free pending her appeal, which, as I said, is, is virtually... Now, one of the things that she did, and the whole story is going to be here, and it, it, it's not too long, but it gets pretty in-depth. Theranos, of course, was a Silicon Valley tech, uh, medical technology company where... What they were supposed to do is be able to take a little, very little drop of blood and be able to do a whole lot of tests from one drop of blood. And they were going to be able to put it in a little machine and do those tests where you didn't have to take multiple vials of blood and use multiple different companies. But they couldn't do it because it couldn't be done with that amount of blood, not yet. So they, the whole thing was a fraud. They were faking it until they made it. They could make it. So they were acting like they had this technology. In the, in the meantime, they were taking the blood and sending it to multiple labs to get these tests done so they could have something to show that, yes, it was actually working. But it was only how much, how many million dollars? It was under $200 million. You'd think it would be more the way they were acting. I mean, this was all over uh, Forbes and Time Magazine, like she was the next coming of, Steve Jobs, which is the way she presented herself. This is an interesting case. I might continue to... F Actually, I follow it... Okay, I'll go ahead and follow it on here since I do in real life. That's bit, since I do off the podcast and off the website. Because really, this is all this is anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. Um, I want to know if she goes to jail. Now, there's this story here. And I, for some reason, I really like the journalism in the UK. And um, I just got this breaking news from London. It's 24 hours of violence in London has seen four stabbed in a wave of knife crimes. London likes to talk about 
And that's just, what, one city in England, right? But it is the capital, per se. They like to talk about their gun control, but they sure have a lot of shootings and other things like this. The brutal murder of Zara Alina shocked everyone from killer Jordan McSweeney's past, but his descent into serious crime wasn't a surprise. Jordan was bad, an ex-neighbor of the 29-year-old murderer told My London. This is from My London. My London.news. He was a little shit, said another, summing up the feelings of many. His notoriety on the streets of Dagenham, where he was born, and Kent, where he spent much of his youth, was clear. He was known for stealing from friends and getting into fights. Drugs and alcohol were consumed in vast quantities and often sparked the violence he would come to be associated with. So here's what he did. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I have to just tell you. Okay, I'm just going to have to tell you. You see, he was released. He was released from prison, from Old Bailey's. And there's a videos associated with what he's doing here. He pleaded guilty yesterday. He had a long history of violence. She was studying to be a, a lawyer. She was walking home after a night out. And what he did, you can see him in this video. He He's staking out who he's going to assault, and he sees her. And then he starts following her. And what does he do to her? He, he starts beating her and knocks her onto the ground and he starts stomping on her. And then he sexually assaults her. She dies. He was just out of prison for nine days when he did that. He had 28 previous convictions. So this is something that's sweeping, sweeping London. He's been described as a ticking time bomb. He repeatedly stamped and kicked on her, sexually assaulted her, and left her for dead. After he walked away, he then returned, and he stamped on her several more times before finally leaving. A passerby called her, saw her, called the police, Emergency services, 2.44 a.m. when she was still alive. She was struggling to breathe, and she was partially naked. She was rushed to the hospital, but she died there. Because of all the closed-circuit TVs they have there, cameras, they found him, and there's eyewitnesses that pinpointed him in the location. This is horrible. This is tragic. This could have been stopped. They don't even have a, a three strikes you're out policy, but he was young, and because he was young, I guess they were more lenient on him than they should have been. So this uh, this is a uh, all the links to this are going to be in the show notes. This has got people absolutely up in arms. 
so there's a lot of information going around about Elon Musk right now. You know, he took over Twitter. He gave everybody an ultimatum on Thursday. He goes, either you're going to be ready to put out on Thursday for what we're doing now. And his goal is to monetize Twitter. He goes, either you're going to start putting out for Twitter 2.0 on Thursday or you can leave the company. Respond, check this box, yes or no, on the email, basically. Before it was even finished, all the news agencies, the mainstream media were reporting that he was going to lose everybody and everybody was saying, no, that was before. So what the real story is, we don't know because they're extremely biased and they want to see Twitter fail. So we really can't go by that. But we can listen to it. So I am. And uh, if you're believing what they says, Twitter's in a lot of trouble. Now, I don't like Twitter. I don't understand. I use Mastodon, noagendasocial.com. And uh, if you want, if you want to join me, there's better than Twitter. And I've been there for years. Now everybody's leaving Twitter and is going to Mastodon. And the thing about Mastodon is 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 federated, which means people have their own servers on it, and you have like your own servers with your own people, and then they link to other servers. So there's not one main server. Nobody, nobody can censor you. Nobody can take you off. But they can just like any other part of social media if they don't like you they don't want to hear what you have to say you have to hit block and believe me i've done that a lot not because there's anybody bothering you because it's not like twitter but because of uh of uh, sexual images and stuff so i block those and i get everything else and actually it makes it better now that people have left from twitter because there's new faces new voices um it's just a better place it's a better atmosphere because it's not politically censorship like twitter used to be now explain this to me. Forty-five billion dollars, forty-four billion, is what Elon Musk gave for Twitter. How can you give that much for a company that isn't making money? They don't make money on Twitter. It doesn't make money, and that was Elon Musk's goal. Okay, well, we know, we need to start monetizing this. You know what would be better if you had a third-party company instead of Twitter. If you had a third-party company that could better that had better algorithms whatever the user puts in it's like i want to find this search twitter you know kind of like tweet deck or like tweet deck used to be it's like find these things for me this is what i want to see because twitter doesn't do that well because they're pl- political bias you know if there's something that they don't like they won't let you search for it but the information is still on there if you had a third party service you could you know charge okay well for this amount of i mean you, twitter can be used to find things out really well. And if you could use that, it would work. But uh, Elon Musk is fighting to monetize. And I'm telling you this right now, you Twitter employees that left, you're going to have a hard time finding jobs somewhere else right now, especially with the the sweet deal that you had, that you could work and not produce anything and get paid pretty well for it. That doesn't exist in the real life. Now, people were asking Elon Musk's, Elon Musk, Who's he going to let back on the platform? So they asked him, are you going to let Donald Trump back? And Musk tweeted, Trump decision has not been made. Now, late Friday, he created a Twitter poll asking if he should reinstate Trump. He, he, He did reinstate the Babylon Bee and Jordan Peterson, who were both suspended over supposed transphobic tweets. 
And he, he unsuspended comedian Kathy Griffin's account, which was suspended for impersonating Musk like a week or two ago. And he was asked if he was going to bring back InfoWars host Alex Jones, and Musk replied no. Twitter's new policy is freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach, Musk said. Negative slash hate tweets will be max deboosted and demonetized, so no ads or other revenue to Twitter, he tweeted. You won't find the tweet unless you specifically seek it out, which is no different from the rest of the internet. So, and I don't blame him for not reinstating Alex Jones. I mean, who could, right? Especially, you know, like $1 trillion for what Alex Jones did at Sandy Hook, whether all that money is going to go anyplace or not. That is what he's been charged. I mean, he's persona non grata. So to bring that drama and the drama of the Sandy Hook to Twitter, yeah, that's just not even worth worth doing. Plus, would it even help Alex Jones? No. Would it help Twitter? No. So you weigh all these things, and you know it's not surprising me at all that he's like, oh, no, we're just staying away from that. Thank you for joining me again. You're listening to Midnight Radio. Be back tomorrow. If you have a comment or question about any of these stories, 325-261-0892, midnightrad.io, 101 at gmail.com. Until next time, good night, good day, good morning, wherever you may be. God bless. Sending all my best.